This morning we are looking in the book of Revelation. I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn there with me this morning. The book of Revelation, one of those easy to find books. It's the last book in the Bible. So go to the back and start thumbing forward a little bit. You'll find it. And we're uh, looking today at chapter 1 of uh, Revelation. And uh, as we think about Revelation, we'll think about the writer of the book of Revelation. You may know is the Apostle John. John, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And uh, John had uh, been a follower of Jesus as a young man. As an older adult, or as a mature adult, he was a pastor of churches, including by tradition the church at Ephesus at one time. And now in uh, Revelation 1, he is writing as an old man. He had seen uh, the, the church be birthed. He had witnessed uh, Christ and the crucifixion, the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now in the end of his life, he, is, uh, being, he has a revelation from Christ to him while he has been exiled or placed on a desolate island called Patmos out in the ocean. And so uh, he was placed there because of his faith and because of his preaching. Now the revelation came to John, we see in Revelation 1 and verse 1, and the revelation came from Jesus. We see that in Revelation 1 and verse number 10. John was worshiping, he says, on the Lord's day. So on the Lord's Day, he was uh, perhaps by himself. He might have been in a group of others. We don't know exactly who was there. But on the island of Patmos where he was exiled, he is worshiping the Lord. And in that moment, in that experience, the Lord Jesus revealed to John the message that we have as the book of Revelation. The recipients of this book, or rather we should say of this letter, are seven churches. And I want you to see on a map behind me there, there are where the seven churches are located. So you'll see, you'll see the Mediterranean Sea. And of course, if you can look all the way to the right, you'll see Jerusalem. That'll give you your bearings. So if you go up and around towards Greece, you'll see that's an area that was known then and known now as Asia Minor. And these seven churches are located in that region. And the island of Patmos, you'll see all the way to the left, is the one farthest away from the landmass. And that's where John was. The churches were fairly close by and were all churches that John had personal knowledge of and probably, uh, over the years, personal relationship with. As Jesus revealed himself to John, he, uh, sends, he, uh, Jesus tells him the letter is for these seven churches. And these seven churches are given in imagery or in symbolic form through lampstands. And the seven churches, known as the seven lampstands, are the churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so uh, each of these churches there, located in a town, uh, in an area where the gospel had come for the first time and people had been brought to faith in Christ. In verse number 20 of chapter 1, it says, As for the mystery... The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So John had seen in this revelation by Jesus, he had seen these seven lampstands and wondering, what do these lampstands mean? What are they? And Jesus tells him, these are these seven churches. So with this revelation that God gives to John through Christ, Jesus revealed uh, to John a message for the churches of Asia, but also for the church of every generation and every location even our church here today. And so, uh, so we're going to start looking over the next several weeks at these churches. And we're going to see what the Lord had to say to the churches 
And we're going to ask the question, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for Ridgecrest Baptist Church? What does it mean for us in the year 2018? What does it mean for me personally as a part of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ? And so today, I want to spend a few minutes and focus on Jesus. And then we're going to focus on John. But we're also going to focus on us in this initial encounter. Because before the Lord revealed to John about the churches, he also revealed himself to John. So I want you to notice with me, first of all, we're going to look at a vision or an appearance of Jesus that we see in chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. Would you stand with me as we read this passage of Scripture? Now, a week or so ago, I read from, I read from Revelation 1. Verses 5 to 8, a description of Jesus. I'd invite you to go back and look over that when you have a few minutes. But here, Jesus reveals himself to John, not as the the human Jesus that John had come to know and spent time with. This was the resurrected Jesus. This was uh, a Jesus who was glorified and exalted. This is Jesus presenting himself as the Son of God. This is Jesus who is now the reigning king of heaven who is seated on the throne and we're reminded right away of just who jesus is and i'm reminded at the very beginning of the lord's revelation to john he gives a picture of himself and it reminds me that that all too often uh, we need to look and make sure that we begin our bible reading our bible story our time in our sunday school connect group our time in personal worship and study, our time in corporate worship, we need to begin with recognizing exactly who Jesus is. Because when Jesus revealed himself to John, he started with an image of who he is. Notice what it said. John says, starting in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, these are the churches, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a sun of man. There was somebody who looked like a person standing in the midst of this image of these lampstands, knowing that the lampstands are the churches. In the midst of those, John saw a vision of Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, help us today and every day to see a vision of who you are. Help us to determine we're going to read your word and we're going to find out more and more who Jesus is. Even if we've been Christians and believers and followers of Christ for years and for decades and most of our life, help us to be filled and thrilled with who Jesus is when we open the Word of God. May you reveal yourself to us. And Lord, even if somebody walked in today for the first time, had never heard about Jesus, may they even today see a glimpse from Scripture of just who Jesus is. May we see you in the pages of Scripture. May we see your hand at work in the circumstances of our life and our world. May we recognize by the power of your Holy Spirit that you are always present, always at work, always accomplishing your will, always for the glory of our Heavenly Father. We pray, Lord, today that you would help us to see and respond to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So starting in verse 12, John says... I had this vision, and I saw what seemed to be these golden lampstands out, and one like a son of man, one like a person in the midst of them. And then John begins to describe the different qualities of Jesus, who he sees in the midst of these lampstands or in the midst of the churches. Don't you notice starting in verse 13, it says that he was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around 
his chest. Imagery. The imagery of the long robe would remind us that, that Jesus is the one who is the judge. He was wearing the judge's robe. And so, so the Bible tells us in, in 2 Timothy 4.1 that Christ Jesus is to judge the living and the dead. The one who, who is revealing himself is the judge. But not, in addition to being the judge, he's also the king. I want you to notice it says there that he was wearing a golden sash. That's a, a, that's a, a garment. That's a, 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 what, what, a, what a king, a ruler would wear. And we're reminded in Revelation 19, 16, uh, it says about Jesus, on his robe and on his thigh was a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So when we come into the presence of the Lord, we recognize he is both judge and king of all that there is. Verse 14 tells us, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And this is a symbol of the eternity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were given another glimpse of him in Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 7 and verse 9, where, where the Lord is called the Ancient of Days. The, the picture, the name of the Lord that reminds us and teaches us that God is eternal with no beginning and no end. He has always existed, He does exist, and He will always Exist. Daniel 7, 9 says, The Ancient of Days is his name, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, or was white, signifying that he is eternal. In verse 14 it says about Jesus, His eyes were like flames of fire. Like flames of fire. Again, symbolism and fire giving illumination in the darkness, in the day in which John lived. And so the fire was the illumination reminding us of the all-seeing eye of God and the fact that nothing escapes His vision, nothing escapes His sight. As the king and the judge of all that there is looks around, there is nothing that escapes His sight, for He is eternal and He is all-seeing. Verse 15 says, His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And so here we see a picture of the, the, the bronze reminding us of the altar of sacrifice there in the temple or in the tabernacle worship. And what would happen is, as the people in the Old Testament would come to worship God, they would bring with them an offering, a lamb or a goat or an ox or, or some specified offering from, from uh, Scripture. And as they would bring that offering, the priest would, would take the animal and would put it on the bronze altar and it would be burned up as an atonement or as a sacrifice for sin, reminding the people that sin brings death, but God provides a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is given in judgment for sin. And so we're reminded here that, that, that the feet of, of Jesus are those that are reminders that He is the one that bore our judgment for sin and was the sacrifice. It says in verse 15 that His voice was like the roar of many waters. Have any of you ever been to Niagara Falls? Raise your hand if you've been to Niagara Falls. Raise your hand if you've been by a river when it's really swollen and flowing really fast, okay? So if, I remember being in circumstances like that, and, and water's just rushing, and it's flowing, and it's so loud that it drowns out everything around it. If you're going to try to have a conversation right standing beside of Niagara Falls, good luck to you, right, first of all. But, but, the, but just the elevation of, of raising your voice is something that's very difficult. I can remember being there years ago and, and not being able to carry a conversation and eventually you just say, hey, I'll talk to you later over here. But the, the sound of rushing waters, the sound of a waterfall, the voice of our Savior drowns out every other voice around. In verse 16 it says, In his right hand he held seven 
stars. And he tells us that the stars are the angels or the messengers of the churches. Now, now some theologians would say that these stars are messengers to the churches, are angels. He called, they're called angels. But some would interpret that to mean not just literal angels from the spirit world, but literal pastors in the present world. And so the pastors are the angels to the churches. I don't know which it is, and, and, and the Lord's got it under control. But notice what the, the function is. that the, Just like stars in the sky in a dark night, that the stars or the angels or the messengers to the churches are those that God places and that can shine the light of the gospel. So the church at Ridgecrest, if we'll call it, has an angel, whether it's me as the pastor or a literal angel, but the purpose is to shine the light of the gospel in the darkness of the community in which we stand. And those angels, those stars are in his right hand. It says in verse 16, From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. Out of the mouth we speak. And it says here the imagery is that of a sword coming out. And some would say it's a sword of judgment because of, of all the, the judgments of God. Some would say it's, it's the very word of God because in Ephesians six seventeen it says, The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And so as the, as the angel would, would speak, as the pastor would speak, as a messenger speaks in a church, the, the sword of the Spirit goes out accomplishing the message, the purpose, the plan, and the will of God. So that's who Jesus is. And then we see uh, in verse number 16 also, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now what's one thing, this is Mother's Day, so we'll, we'll honor our mothers with this. What's one thing mothers always tell their kids on a bright sunny day about looking into the sun? Don't look in the sun. Why? What happens if you look in the sun? You go blind. That's right. And so it is that brightness that we can all imagine from looking directly into the sun, which is a very bad idea. I don't suggest you do that. But shining forth with the brightness of the sun itself is this image that Jesus presents himself to towards John. It's a reminder as we, of what happened in Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 2, this event during the earthly life of Jesus called the transfiguration. When Jesus had taken uh, Peter, James, and John and gone up on the mountain, and all of a sudden he was transfigured. His whole form, his physical appearance began to change. And in Matthew 17 and verse 2 about that incident, it says that Jesus was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Now, one thing I've noticed in Scripture is that there are these, these very important places where descriptions of Jesus are given in great detail, and this is one of those. And it's given for a purpose to reveal to us. Remember, the book of Revelation is a revealing, it's a pulling back of the curtain, and Jesus revealing himself to us. So in this revelation, with this imagery, Jesus is letting us know exactly who he is, exactly that he is eternal, that he has all authority, that he is the judge, that he is the king, that he sees everything, that when he speaks it drowns out every other sound around us, and that he is the one who is the eternal son of God reigning forever and ever. And so, so we're reminded of that and taught that here at the beginning of Revelation, and we should take that to heart to recognize that when we are about our regular life, our Christian life, our, our work life, our home life, that the Jesus that we see in Revelation is the Jesus that is with us at all times. 
And when we feel weak or we feel inadequate or we feel like, like we can't do what God has called us to do, then, then, then He is the one who is there reminding us of exactly who He is. It keeps our priorities straight. It keeps our worship straight. It keeps our prayers straight. It keeps our singing on track. It keeps our, our life where it needs to be because it reminds us of both who He is and then as a response, who we are. And so we need to make sure that we stay focused on Jesus. Secondly, I want you to notice our response to Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to us. Now, don't you notice our response? I say our because we all share in it, but it's also John's response. We look at John, and he kind of represents us and to a large degree in the book of Revelation. So, so, so John uh, saw Jesus and in response was completely humbled and surrendered, and he stood there in awe. And then it tells us there in verse number 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This image of the exalted Christ and seeing all these different parts of who Jesus is and, and, and taking it all in, and his response was to fall down because he was completely humbled in that moment. And likewise, when we see who Jesus is, it humbles us. When we see who Jesus is and who we are, it ought to lead us to a place of surrender and say, Lord, whatever I am and whoever I think I am, I, I do not compare to you. Isaiah had an encounter with the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. I love this passage. Again, one of these great pictures of, of our Lord up in heaven. I want to read for you a couple of verses there. Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. So Isaiah the prophet is worshiping and he sees probably a similar image to what John saw of the Lord seated on a throne. High and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. There's that imagery of the robe again. And one angel cried to the other angel and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's a beautiful scene. Verse 4, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, listen to this, Woe is me, for I am lost, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah, in seeing this image, this picture of God sitting on his throne in heaven, his response was, I've got to fall down as though dead, because I've seen the Lord and seeing who he is reminds me of who I am and that I am not worthy to stand in his presence. So, woe is me. Philippians talks about the name of Jesus driving us in a similar format. At the name of Jesus, Philippians 2, 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a day when all across heaven and all across earth and all across anywhere there is anything or anybody or any creature created by God, the name of Jesus will go out and all the knees will bow. And all the voices will come. Those who have worshipped Him and embraced Him those who have rejected him and mocked him will all say in one accord, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's who he is. Matt Redman, who's one of my favorite Christian worship leaders in our day, has written a book called Face Down, and he calls it Face Down Worship. Here's what Matt Redman says. 
When we face up to the glory of God, we soon find ourselves face down in worship. Every posture in worship says something of both the worshiper and the one being gloried in. The raising of hands tells of a soul stretched out high in praise and the worth of the one being exalted. Joyful dancing interprets a grateful heart and points in adoration to the source of that joy. Out of the overflow of our heart, we speak and we sing, we dance and we bow. God reveals and we respond. God shines and we reflect. In the very same way, face-down worship is the overflow of a heart humbled and amazed by the glory of God. Let me read that last part again. Face-down worship is the overflow of a heart humbled and amazed by the glory of God. When we see Jesus. Some of you are saying uh, this morning, well, I don't know if I've ever seen Jesus like that. I don't know if I've ever had that experience. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, the Bible speaks of special times of revelation. This is one of them when visually, however it happened, John saw this picture of Jesus. We don't necessarily have that experience uh, of, of visually seeing, but we have that experience spiritually as we come into contact with our Lord. And His Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and we open His Word. And it drives us, it should drive us the same way it drove John into recognizing who Jesus is, who I am, and in response, I fall face down in worship of God. Henry Blackaby, many of you remember Henry Blackaby from Experiencing God, the study. He's written a new book called Flickering Lamps about these seven churches in the book of Revelation. And Henry Blackaby says this about this experience that John had with Jesus. He says, John was so overwhelmed at the sight of the risen Christ that he fell to the ground as if he were dead. Though John had spent more than three years in Jesus' company, and despite the fact he had subsequently served him for many decades, the awesome sight of the exalted Christ terrified the veteran apostle. So even though John had been this great spiritual figure and had seen Jesus on the earth, it still drove him face down in the presence of God. And that's what we ought to be looking for. Every time we gather on Sunday, we can be praying. And I, I, I pray you'll join me in praying this. Lord, today, would you do something that would drive us to our knees? Lord, would you do something today? Help us to see you today in a song that we sing, in the song of the choir, in a song that a soloist like Wendy would sing, in the message from the scripture. Help us to see you to the point that we are driven face down before you, humbling ourselves in the sight of a mighty and an awesome God. And so that's our response to Christ. Because an encounter with Jesus drives us face down. But thirdly, I want you to notice the response of Jesus to us. When, when, we, when we come before Him, we see Him, we experience Him, we worship Him, we go down on our knees, we go, fight, we go face down in His presence. Notice in verse 17 and 18, it says, But He, that's Jesus, but He laid His right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. You know, there are lots of commands in the Bible. The most famous set of commands are called what? The Ten Commandments. But the command that is repeated most often 
throughout the pages of Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, hands down, the most often repeated command coming from our Lord are these two words. Fear not. Fear not. Isn't that amazing? In, in, in the experience, imagine, kind of, kind of walk with me through this experience. The experience of, of recognizing who our Lord is, of falling down, and as Isaiah said, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm dirty. The people around me are dirty. We are sunk because we're in the presence of a holy and a righteous God who is the judge of all sin. And the Lord reaches down and touches us on our shoulder and simply says these two words, fear not. Man, that's awesome. What an awesome message that is. Listen to some other places in the Bible where the command to fear not is given. In Genesis chapter 15, the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. In Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of our Lord. In Psalm 27, and verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I fear? Be afraid. In Isaiah 41 and verse 10, the Lord says to Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. In Matthew 1 and verse 20, the angel appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6, it says, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then here in a couple of weeks, we'll get to Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10, where the Spirit says, the Lord says to the church, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Now that's scary, isn't it? Do not fear what you're about to suffer. It's coming on you and it's going to be hard, but you don't have to fear. And so we're reminded over and over and over again throughout Scripture, just as we are in this experience that John had with the risen Lord, that in the presence of God and seeing our Lord for who He is and being driven down in humility, we don't have to fear. I'm reminded of the words of the song that we're going to sing at the end of our service, In Christ Alone. I love that hymn. In Christ Alone. One of the verses says this, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Why? Because there is nothing to fear in Jesus, when we recognize who He is and we respond in humility before Him. Notice again, Revelation 1, verse 18. There's no fear in life because Jesus is the living one. There's no fear in death because Jesus has died and is now alive. He's conquered death. And there is no fear in eternity because Jesus, it says there in verse 18, He's got the keys. He's got the keys of both death and and hell. And if you know the man with the keys, it doesn't matter how locked up you are, he can set you free. Amen? Amen? And that's exactly who Jesus is. 
in that realm. So we know, fear not, because Jesus is the way of salvation. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is the one who tells us that we don't have to fear because we have a Savior who's able to deliver us from death and hell. I want you to notice, fourthly, the command of Jesus. Throughout the Scripture, we see a pattern that we would all do well to recognize and apply to our lives. And here's the pattern. A man or a woman has an experience with God. And in that experience, they recognize who God is. And they have a similar experience to Isaiah and to John and to Paul and to many other people. They had that face-down worship experience. And out of that worship experience, out of that encounter with God, the Lord says to them these two words, in so, the, the, this in so many words, do something. Now that you've been, now that you've encountered, now that your sins have been forgiven, now that you've been in my presence, the Lord says to us, now you go do something. Notice what he said to John in verse 19 of Revelation 1. He says, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. So, so the Lord says to John, after he, after he puts his hand on his shoulder, he says, Fear not. He gets him up, and he says, John, I've got something for you to do now that you've been in my presence. I want you to write these things down. Now, was John obedient? Obviously he was, because we have the book of Revelation. But the Lord always says something to us out of our encounter with him, and we need to be mindful of that. It might be to write something down, but it might also be to tell somebody something. It might be to serve in some capacity, but it might also be to respond to our Lord in some form or fashion. I want you to listen to some commands of the Lord from the New Testament, what we hear uh, from him. We hear these words, repent, rejoice, Love your enemies. Love each other. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Pray for workers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Keep my commands. Follow me. Let your light shine. Forgive. Seek God's kingdom first. Deny yourself. Be born again. Go and make disciples. Now, I want you to notice there's two parts of, of, of God commanding us, the Lord commanding us to do something out of our encounter. There are some of these commands that apply to every single one of us. For example, the command that says you must be born again, that applies to all of us. There's not one person that we would ever share the message of Scripture and we get to the part where it says, Jesus says, you must be born again. And they say, does that apply to me? And there's nobody we would ever say, no, that doesn't apply to you. That applies to somebody else. Of course not. It applies to all of us. The, the command to repent applies to all of us. And so there are, there are general commands that all of us should obey, but then there are particular commands that are particular to each one of us in our circumstances, in our life, where we are. The Lord said to John, write these things down. The Lord says to this person, go be a missionary across the ocean. The Lord says to this person, go be a welder over here at the factory. The Lord says to this person, serve in your church and work in the preschool ministry. The Lord says to this person, I'm calling you to be a pastor. The Lord says to this person, this and that person, that. Each of us individually in our own circumstances, but always general commands that apply to all of us. Worship leads us to experience Christ, to surrender to him, 
and to hear the command that he gives us. Now let me ask you a question this morning. As you think back over your spiritual experience, have there been commands that you have heard from our Lord that have spoken to you right in your heart? Hopefully the command to repent and believe and be saved and be born again. Do you remember that back in the day? I remember, I remember that in my own life, and many of you remember that in your life as well. Have there been those, those general commands that, that, that you know, you remember the Lord has spoken to you in that way, and you've responded, and that's a wonderful thing. But, but have there been other commands, other personalized commands in your life that you can remember the Lord speaking to you and telling you to go do something because you've spent time with Him and you've been in His presence? I, I've talked to many of you in this room, and I've heard from others and experienced myself, where the Lord sometimes says, go speak to that person. Well, Lord, I don't know what to say. I didn't tell you to, 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 to ask me questions. Go speak to that person. I can't tell you the times, and, and not, been, not been a tremendously bunch of them, but, but I can point you to, 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 to several instances in my life where I felt compelled to go speak to somebody, and, and I have no clue what I'm going to say, and I feel like the biggest idiot in the world, and I just go say, hey, man, how's it going? And the next thing you know, we're engaged in a deep spiritual conversation that I never could have started on my own. I was just simply being obedient to go speak to somebody. I can't tell you the times that, that I've prepared a message, whether it's for a small group or a sermon on a Sunday morning, and something inside of me says, change this or throw it out the window or say this instead, even in the midst of a message. And I've, I've gotten through with a message before, and I've wondered, why in the world did I say that? And somebody will send me an email or a text and come up to me and say, when you said this part of the message, God just spoke to my heart. And so there, there, if, if we listen, and remember back to the imagery of, of Jesus, if we encounter our Lord and fall down in worship and hear his voice, and remember his voice is like the sound of many rushing waters, like the sound of a waterfall. If we will listen for his voice, we will hear him say, I want you to go over here and do this. I want you to go over here and respond to this need. I want you to go and speak to this person even though you don't know what you're going to say. And so that's what happens when we come into an encounter with the Lord through worship. There's the command of Jesus. And then notice fifthly and lastly here, we have our response. Our response. Now I'm speaking from experience here. <laughs> there are those times when I have heard the voice of God and I have chosen not to follow it. That's not good. I can remember before I became a Christian, sensing the presence of Christ in my life and feeling the pull to be born again, to be saved, to become a Christian. And I can remember feeling that pull and rejecting it and turning away from it. I can remember as a Christian many times, just as, just as I can tell you there are those times God has prompted me and said, go speak to this person over here. And I've gone and spoken and it's turned out to be a wonderful spiritual experience. There are other times I felt the Lord prompted me and say, go speak to that person. And I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> I don't have time. I'm busy. My phone's ringing. Somebody call me right now. Anything at all to avoid doing what I know he's called me to do. So, so here's the point. When we hear the voice of God, and it's a wonderful voice, and it's always good, and it's never right to disobey that voice, although we all have in some form or fashion. When we hear that voice, we now have a choice. Am I going to do what I hear the voice of God saying I should do? Am I going to accomplish what he's called me to do? Or am I going to turn him down and disobey? I've got to make that choice. 
You know, John could have said, you know, the, the Lord said, John, write these things down now and hereafter. And, and John could have said, well, Lord, I'm old. I got arthritis in my hand. I can't write good. I'm not going to do it. He could have said, Lord, I'm, 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 that's just, you know, let somebody else do that. But the Lord speaks and he calls. And we're given the choice of what kind of response we're going to give. Are we going to respond with, yes, I will obey. Yes, I will trust. Yes, I will follow. And yes, Lord, even though it's awkward, I'm willing to get out of my seat and go somewhere and speak to somebody. Lord, even if it's out of my comfort zone, I'm willing to, to contact Joe Yandel and say, Joe, sign me up for vacation Bible school. I'm going to take a week off of work or mornings off of work or make myself available or, or contact Austin and say, Austin, I'm willing to go to youth camp for a week. I don't know why I'm doing this other than God's spoken to me, but I'm willing to go and do it. Or to call Lisa Ashworth and say, Lisa, I'm willing to work in the preschool ministry Changing those diapers back there, even though it's not my comfort zone, I'm willing to do it. Because somehow, someway, God has laid that upon my heart because I've been in His presence in worship. What happens too many times, two things happen to the extreme. On the one hand, we encounter God, and we hear Him speaking to us, and we hear His call, and we leave it there and walk away. And on the other extreme, we don't hear his voice. We're not really worshiping him, but out of a sense of obligation or somebody twists our arms or a, a need is made known, we just say, well, I guess I'll do that. And when we say, yeah, I guess I'll do that, you can accomplish some good things in ministry. But if you're not accomplishing that one thing that God has called you to, you could be missing out on a great blessing. And you could be missing out on being a great blessing to somebody else. So he calls, and then we're called to respond. Now, in this passage, we've seen our Lord Jesus. We've seen John. And I hope all along the way that we've seen ourselves, both in the experience of worship and in the experience of a response. And so I wonder this morning, if you have, have heard the, the voice of our Lord speaking to you in your heart, I don't know if you've noticed, but there are people before the service ever begins on a Sunday who gather here at the altar. There's a few over here and a few over here. And, and every, every morning when I walk in, I, I walk up to the altar and I pray. And I pray something like this. Lord, would people see you today? Would they hear your voice today? And would they respond today? And I am not foolish enough to think that I can stand up here and wow you or say any kind of words that I can put together that in any way would, would strike you to do anything at all. I'm past that part. But I am mindful that the voice of God, the one with all-seeing eyes, the one with the golden sash is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who wears the robe of the ruler and is eternal, the ancient of days, I'm reminded that through His Spirit and through His Word, He speaks to our hearts and calls us and compels us. So I wonder today, have you heard from our Lord in our worship service today? Have you heard from Him this past week as you spent time in, in a time of devotion and prayer? Will you ask Him, Lord, help me to, to hear You, help me to see You, help me to worship You, because I long for that experience. Would you be willing to make that your, your prayer and, and even your prayer this morning? Have you responded to those worshipful moments where you feel the presence of God and heard His call to your life? Have you responded recently with obedience do you know what it is he's called you to do 
And what are you doing about it? Jesus reveals himself in this way to John. John responds in the way that he did by falling face down and then experiencing the touch of Jesus when Jesus said, Fear not, I will deliver you from hell and death. And then John says, Okay, Lord, here I am. Use me, send me, take me, mold me. And Jesus said, Write, write it down, baby. Just write it down. I wonder how many of us just struggle with knowing what it is he's called us to do and do it. And do it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment? I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand or stand up or anything else. I just want to ask you the question. What is your next step of faith and obedience? Having worshipped the Lord. If it's been a long time since you've really been in His presence and worshipped Him, would you right now just simply pray to the Lord and say, Lord, it's been a long time. Help me to see You. Help me to experience You. Help me to know Your presence. Help me to respond in humility. Help me to respond in a willingness to, res to do whatever you've called me to do. For some, that means simply speaking to someone else. For others, it might mean committing yourself to be a missionary. For some, it might mean turning from your sin and trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For others, it might mean repenting of some sin in your life and coming back to your walk with God. I don't pretend to know your circumstances, but the same Jesus who was present in the golden lampstands in Revelation 1 is the same Jesus who is present in the church today. And so our Heavenly Father, today remind us of just who you are. Remind us that you are all-knowing and all-seeing. Remind us that when we fall down before you in humility, there is nothing to fear because you deliver us through faith from death and hell. Remind us, Lord, that there is something you would have each of us to do. Make us thankful for that. Make us willing, even in awkwardness. May Jesus be glorified in our lives and in our church as we pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand together? Bill's going to come and lead us. We're going to sing that great hymn I mentioned a minute ago, In Christ Alone. And as we sing this hymn, make it your prayer. Make it your thought. Make it your sense of worship between you and the Lord. And as you do, and if, as you would feel God speaking to your heart, I'll be available here at the front. Some others will be available as well. We would look forward to any opportunity to encourage you and to pray with you as you seek to follow after the things of God.